What's up, people? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressive Show. Sincere Hogan and Mike Mahler. And um, got a great guest. Always a great time when we have this guest on the show. So, first of all, Mike, you there? I'm here. <laughs> yeah, this, I was going to sound sure. like, um, like you're on a CD or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I think I had a couple of wires here that were crisscrossed, so it should be over now. Okay. Yeah, we. I was going to introduce our guest as the Tom Selleck of anti-aging, but he shaved the mustache off. So it's no longer appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have the look, but he still has the swag of Tom Selleck, though. <laughs> I and got a magnum. Talk... <laughs> well, 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 that's the word. That's the word on the street. <laughs> I think Nick Delgado said he saw some magnum condoms in your office last time he visited. <laughs> no, a magnum forty-five. Come on, forty-four. <laughs> Jeez, getting personal there, guys. <laughs> Well, I, hey, I've been to those anti-aging conferences. I know what goes on over there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not just people taking courses and writing notes. I can tell you that much. <laughs> no. Oh, or experimenting you... with the results. <laughs> let's, just say, let's just say there's a lot of people over 50 that are hormonally optimal, given all the stuff they're on, and they're not afraid to show it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and on, the, on that topic, let's talk about there's so many myths and fallacies about growth hormone. It's really under, misunderstood. And more and more, I'm seeing literature talking about the perilous nature of high IGF-1 levels. So on one hand, you have anti-aging experts that are saying you want to have an IGF-1 level of over 280. And then on the other hand, you have these people writing books, such as the longevity factor, that are saying you want it lower than 200. And Dr. Gordon, I sent you that article that Dr. Furman wrote. And you quickly had a retort <laughs> for that article. Of course. So that's, that's <laughs> otherwise, my purpose. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise, what's the purpose of me being here with you other than uh, the jokes <laughs> we have before the that, show? That article, you know? that article got you so mad that mustache fell right off. You didn't even have to shave it off. <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> think. Uh, it yeah, I think one of the uh, greatest. Um, the reason for these misconceptions about high levels of IGF-1 relative to increasing risks of um, things like cancer and so forth is due to the right. fact that we're not, we're not doing the complete testing. And what I mean about that is, you know, growth hormone, whether we take it by injection or it's produced naturally by the pituitary, will go to the liver and turns on nine proteins. The two of the most common that we hear about is IGF-1 and another one called IGF-2. And then there are proteins that it generates called binding proteins 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Now, very rarely or it's uncommon that a doctor will go and look at these binding proteins. But this is the key. What we found out about these binding proteins is that each one of them from one through six has a very unique secondary benefit or primary function in our body for protecting it. The cardiovascular world is finding out that if you are given growth hormone or have uh, are making growth hormone and you have a deficiency in the liver, either genetic uh, mutation or just a deficiency, and don't make binding protein one, you have an increased risk of cardiovascular disease, where you can have increased occurrence of heart attacks, decrease in functioning of the, of the heart. Binding protein two, if it's deficient because there's a genetic defect or mutation that occurs, uh, and you don't make binding protein 
2, which is under the stimulation of growth hormone, you'll have a higher risk of becoming diabetic with insulin, uh, loss of insulin sensitivity or insulin resistance occurs, and you'll develop more body fat. Binding protein 3 is the key one that we usually test whenever we do a growth hormone parameter, which is growth hormone, IGF-1, and binding protein-3, because binding protein-3 is the most common or the most significant carrier for IGF-1. And what we found in studies, uh, in fact, the Melbourne, Melbourne Collaborative Study out of Australia, they found that small increases in this binding protein 3 infers about a 48% reduction in colon cancer. And when I looked at the mechanisms, it was very clear that binding protein 3 absorbs or carries the IGF-1, dropping the quantity in the nucleus. And what does that have to do with anything is the fact that IGF-1 is called promitotic. This means it helps the cell to repair itself or to uh, replicate. When you have a genetic aberration that predisposes to cancer, like a cross-linking or a mutation in the gene, and you allow the cell to replicate, what will happen is it's a higher chance of producing cancer. So the cell, the nucleus of the cell, has a regulatory mechanism to check out whether or not this is happening. A thing called P53 or P53 that you can look up on Wikipedia and see that it's the most important anti-cancer component in our nucleus. But it's failing us. It's failing us because it's zinc dependent and we're not taking in an adequate amount of zinc. That's one thing. The other issue is that this P53, when it does find a mutation in our gene, it tries to fix it. If it fixes it, we're done. It's repaired. Mm. But if it can't fix it, what it does is it turns on more binding protein 3 to be made so that it absorbs the IGF-1 so it can no longer function to stimulate cell reproduction. So it, in fact, adds in something called apoptosis or apoptosis, which is programmed cell death. So P53 increases binding protein 3. Binding protein 3 absorbs the IGF-1 and stops it from propagating the cell. And the cell gets killed with something called P23 and P21, which are systems to kill the cell, auto-destruct, self-explosion. So when we see studies that come out saying, oh, high levels of IGF-1 are associated with cancer, I would look closely at those patients in that population at their binding protein 3 production. And I bet you, you'll see that the binding protein 3, the anti-cancer protective binding protein 3 is low. Then in addition, the binding protein 4 has a strong anti-colon cancer factor to it, and it helps to increase apoptosis, cellular death, programmed cellular death. Then there's uh, binding protein 5, which seems to predominantly store the IGF-1. So the binding protein grabs hold of IGF-1 and transport it, transports it specifically to the bone so that it helps with bone health. That's why when you have people with fractures and you put them on growth hormone, the fractures heal unless they have a binding protein 5 deficiency because of a genetic mutation. And then lastly is um, this binding protein 6, which is very high, 
and it is associated with regulating neurofunction, neuroprotection, and neurogenesis. It helps the brain regenerate or generate nerves. So when we look at these studies and when the associations between binding pro, uh, IGF-1, we fail to look at the binding proteins because that's really the problem. It's not the presence of IGF-1. It's how it's being handled. So right. if they would go back to those studies and look at the binding protein 3, I bet you'll see it. So people who are listening would like to say, oh, my gosh, I'd like to have better levels of binding protein 3 to get the benefits of carrying more IGF-1 and also the anti-cancer benefit and get the benefits right. with insulin and the protection of the heart. So a simple polyphenol by the name of quercetin, quercetin, mm directly yep. increases the production of binding protein 3. The added benefits of quercetin in the generic literature, it says it's anti-cancer, but never explains how it is anti-cancer. This is the mechanism. Quercetin also is mitochondriogenic. It increases mitochondria within a period of about a week. It also drops a um, genetic um, trigger, a genomic trigger called NF-kappa-B, which is what causes inflammation in the, in the brain. And that's one of the primary products that we use in post-traumatic brain injury and traumatic brain injury and the inflammation that happens in the brain because of the uh, brain injury. So that's the issue relative to the cancer. The reason why these articles are coming out is because they're incomplete, insufficient research. They're, they haven't yeah. looked at all the parameters that we know exist. Do you measure binding proteins? So let's say someone comes to you and they're considering being a candidate for GH therapy. Right. You don't just measure IGF-1, you measure all the binding proteins as well? Well, right now we're in, uh, in clinical uh, laboratory. We don't have all the binding. The laboratory that we work with, uh, Access Medical Lab in, in Jupiter, Florida, uh, they're working on putting together a panel for me because I have a beautiful lecture that I've been wanting to give for a couple of years now, which I'm sharing part of it with you. And yeah, I won't give it. Yeah, I won't give it until I have the um, the laboratory able to do more than just binding protein three, which is the more readily available one. But I want to have a panel that has binding protein one through six, and now they think they have seven and eight now binding proteins. And um, uh, yeah, so standardly, all our patients get a binding three. Um, BP3 level, IGF binding protein 3, along with their IGF-1 and growth hormone level. Now, is it possible to have optimal IGF-1, let's say it's over 280, but have poor binding levels? Yes, and that's because the liver is where all these things are made. We need estradiol mm -hmm. to work with growth hormone to stimulate the liver to produce these proteins, the nine proteins produced by the liver. So if, you're, uh, if you've reduced estradiol too low, you lose the benefits. Now, we've talked about this in the past, as much, right. as, I love your, as much as I love your product that my patients are using for their estrogen, I try not to chase it. I try not to diminish it unless they have symptoms. Otherwise, right. you want the estradiol level for the improvement in growth hormone production in the brain, wound healing capacity, neuroplasticity issues, uh, increasing blood flow in the brain, helping the liver with growth hormone, helping the lining of the arteries, the bones, and the heart. So it has a lot right. of benefits in males and females, and it's all about which one has you know 
higher testosterone, lower estradiol is fine, but low estradiol, low testosterone, and even low estradiol could be too high. It's yeah. the relationship between the two. So I don't, I don't see too many guys who. I don't see too many guys who have the problem of low estrogen. What I see is a lot of guys who have the problem of excessively high estrogen. Have you noticed that? How you just people are visibly more estrogen dominant now. Um, yeah, and that's because of the environment. That's because of our right. uh, endocrine disrupting uh, compounds. I think we talked about this last time we were together. Oh yeah. But the, yeah, um, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Uh, Edwin Lee, who's an endocrinologist yep. in Orlando, does a does a lot of work with uh, environmental uh, toxins and environmental. Um, uh, yeah, environmental toxins that disrupt the immune si- uh, the endocrine system and can cause things like very high levels of uh, estradiol. You know, the BPDs, the XYZs, all those letters they throw out there, right. a lot of them from plastic and so forth have an effect yeah. on the immune s- on the system. So it uh, either uh, increases the um, the conversion of testosterone to uh, estradiol through estradiol synthetase, which is, you can manipulate that with zinc. Using zinc citrate, you can actually downregulate the estradiol synthetase uh, enzymes, or the aromatase enzyme, as they will call it, um, and get benefit. Uh, What I'm looking at are things like molybdenum, magnesium, manganese on Mm -hmm. influencing what happens to testosterone. You know, we make free testosterone. That's what we make. And then you end up getting this junky thing called total testosterone. In total testosterone, you know, there's only 2% that is, you know, the bioavailable one. And right. so the question is, how can we avoid having total testosterone? I mean, I've had guys, our veterans uh, in our veteran group with blast trauma and all the stuff they've been on or exposed to in burn pits and so forth and lead mercury yeah. from their, um, from their uh, guns and from, you know, explosives, is that mm-hmm. uh, they have a deficiency from DHEA down because of blocking enzyme poisoning. So their enzymes don't work. So that's one of the things that needs to be looked at is the whole pattern of uh, hormones cascading from, you know, cholesterol, pregnenolone to DHEA, testosterone, and uh, estradiol. And you can see the pattern. We do a whole pattern, a whole um, cascade, and you see the uh, fact that certain things are higher than others. And the only way that that happens is that the enzymes are either being poisoned or you're not have you don't have enough zinc or you don't have molybdenum magnesium and so forth that work with the enzyme systems to make them work called cofactors right yeah magnesium has been shown in studies to increase igf1 free testosterone now isn't it likely that the higher someone's total testosterone the more likely they'll have higher free testosterone or no. do you not see a correlation? No. no. I mean, what I, uh, case that we had, one of many cases we had, a guy with 853 total testosterone. Every doctor he went to, he felt like crap. He had all the symptoms of someone hypogonadal with depression, with lack of libido, with no um, competitiveness, no assertiveness, just dull. Creativity mm-hmm. was gone. I mean, I've had music groups. I've had... Uh, uh, what is it, um, Grammy, uh, not Grammy, the big one, Academy Award winning writers lose their ability uh-huh. when they're in their 60s to 
be creative, turned out that their free their total testosterone might be high, but their free testosterone was four, three. Yeah. And it's really the low. free testosterone that's the key. Total testosterone, it's made up of DHT, uh, sex hormone binding bound uh, testosterone, epitestosterone, conversion to DHT, conversion to estradiol. You want mm. free testosterone. So what we started at the beginning of this year is looking at the uh, patterns of relationships between um, total and free testosterone. I mean, we have... Guys that are uh, 600, 400, 300 on total, but two, three, four on free. So why is the free being rapidly converted to other things? Well, testosterone to estradiol, zinc deficiency, uh, magnesium deficiency on epitestosterone, or, you know, this is what I'm looking at, so I really won't say anything. What we're seeing is a gross pattern, and I'm trying to refine it as what minerals are needed for each one of the enzyme systems to account for why, you know, why something goes to DHT with 5-alpha reductase. How can we manipulate 5-alpha reductase with, you know, Pygeum africanums and pumpkin seed and uh, sal palmetto? Right. So now can yeah. can sal palmetto lower conversion of testosterone to DHT too much because you need some DHT right for optimal sex function and mood and so well, forth. Great question. You need the testosterone conversion to DHT in the brain. Mm, right. That's why, and I apologize for saying it, that's why the guys who are on DECA, Anavar, and Winstrol get DECA dick is because <laughs> all, and if they use DECA, DECA and all that stuff without testosterone, it doesn't get into the brain. The unique thing about free testosterone, it passively goes into the brain through the blood-brain barrier, but DHT and sex hormone bound, all that stuff has to be actively transported, which limits the amount that's in the brain. So the key for us and how we've been getting such a great response in our guys and our veterans in active military with traumatic brain injury and symptomatology, symptomatic TBI as opposed to PTS, is by um, making sure that their free testosterone levels are always mathematically higher than the uh, projected by total testosterone. There's a uh, bioavailable, bioactive bioavailable calculation which is it's about two percent of the two uh, percent of the free testosterone is in total testosterone. So if you have a number like eight hundred fifty-three. That would mean about seventeen should be their free testosterone level. And when they come in at four point five, you're saying, wait a second, they should be seventeen. They're four point five. What's happened to the other thirteen points? The other 13 right. points has gone into DHT, estradiol, epitestosterone that we don't even test, into other things, estradiol, you know. So looking at the balance between, you know, DHT, estradiol, estrone, and all these others, you can figure out where the problem is in terms of conversion. Right. Now, with going back to IGF-1 and growth hormone, Dr. Harry Tur- Terry Hurtog has information sure. on… Alcohol, just one glass of alcohol lowers growth hormone by 75%. What's your take on that? Well, in the literature, it does talk about uh, alcohol influencing uh, growth hormone uh, production in the brain. Um, The 75%, uh, I I haven't seen an article that clear-cut stated 75%. Yeah, that sounds really high. Well, uh, it's a great way to stop people from drinking Belgian beer. 
<laughs> you know where he's from. He's from yeah, yeah, Belgium. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Maybe this is all for some some campaign he has in opposition. I, yeah. I, I I don't know. I've he's, known he's Terry been for shorting, twenty years. He's that stock. <laughs> yeah, he could be. I don't know. The Belgium Brewing, the Belgium Brewing uh, Brewery in Colorado. Uh-huh. Fat, fat, uh huh. Fat was it? Fat tire. Flat tire. I have yeah. done. Oh, no is idea. that it called flat tire? Okay, flat tire. One of you. I've seen it before. Yeah, My one buddy. of those. I, yeah, someplace. Yeah. yeah. So um, I haven't seen that, but yes, alcohol uh, will curtail it using anastrozole. I mean, I've had people who have come in here on anastrozole, one milligram three times a week, a half a milligram three times a week, a quarter milligram a daily, and I've seen their growth hormone levels significantly reduced because we need estradiol in the brain to stimulate the production of growth hormone. So the guys that are taking too much testosterone, therefore needing to take anastrozole, they're yeah. knocking off their own production of growth hormone. So the, the logical thing to do is reduce the excessive amount of testosterone. If they were using good quality testosterone, the blended testosterone, sipinate uh, and propionate, you get a great absorption into the brain. And that's where testosterone works in the brain. Testosterone works in the brain. DHT, yeah, does have brain and peripheral where it does have some benefits like shrinking your testicles, giving your acne, causing your prostate to enlarge, you know. Those are the, the actions yeah. of it. Sounds like some great benefits right there, what everyone's oh, yeah. looking for. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Is there anything I can take to enlarge my prostate? <laughs> well, we can enlarge the schlong, too, by uh, using a 10% uh, PLO, phospholipid-based uh, um, testosterone, uh, free-form <laughs> testosterone, onto the scrotum. It increases DHT, increased local DHT causes increase in vasculature in the um, in the cavernous sinuses, you know, the penis is all blood vessels and causes right. an engorgement, enlargement, and, uh, you know, there's growth and girth and, and length. I think 2005 or seven, we did a participation with a doc up in uh, San Francisco for the, for the um, San Francisco male population putting uh, onto the scrotum um, testosterone, and it really worked. I had patients here in my office. It really work. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a lot of people email us and go. What was that thing that uh, Dr. Gorman? I'm asking, you know, I'm asking for a friend. I got a friend who's gone. <laughs> yeah, and look at I have a, a close a close buddy of mine in law enforcement who uh, you know wanted to try all the different things that we had for sexual benefits, and right. he's. African-American, black, uh, whatever, just a sweetheart of a guy, like a brother. And I said, fine. So we gave him, I, he says, you know, I want to try that topical testosterone I heard you talk about. I said, but, 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 but you're African-American. He says, nothing wrong with more the better. So he ended up going on it. <laughs> Six weeks later, he comes back and he's like kowtowing. He's saying, you're the man, you're the man. I said, what happened? He says, absolutely. He had uh, enlargement and so forth. And then he stopped getting his blood work done, so I cut him off. He comes back yeah. three or four months later, and I said, so what happened? He says, it stayed. <laughs> it stayed. 
So anyway, I think, uh, I, think uh, found, I think you found a new revenue source here. <laughs> you're going to have, you're gonna have I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe for you guys. But uh, yeah, I stopped doing that. You know, I used to be uh, take care of the adult industry, and uh, so things to help the guys and things to help the gals. That was in my youth. Now I'm old, so I don't do that anymore because I'd get a heart attack with some of these gals. (laughs) Now, what about growth hormone with affecting testosterone? Is there a positive impact? You raise growth hormone. Actually, let me ask you one one question before that. A lot of people recommend taking growth hormone and IGF-1 at the same time. Now, do you mix the two together in a delivery form? So you just have to inject once, or are you taking two separate compounds? That's a very personal question you're asking. Do I? You, 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 oh, you. I'm for myself in case I want to Okay, do that. yeah. Well, I don't, use, I don't use the LR uh, IGF-1 is what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, okay. I don't use it. And the reason why I don't use it is back to square one where we started. When you use IGF-1, can you stimulate binding protein 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? And the answer is no. What stimulates mm. the binding proteins are the is the use of growth hormone so for that reason and that reason alone i really don't go after using uh lr uh igf1 um do people use it yeah they do use it do they get an improvement yeah because what um in the old older days or in the past let's put it that way i don't want to sound you know as old as i am but in the past they used to mix growth hormone with insulin you remember yeah, growth hormone and insulin. Well, IGF-1 has a 10% crossover to insulin. Also increases amino acid absorption, just like growth hormone. It has a lot of benefits on bone, different areas of the bone. So you improve bone, improve muscle, myosin production. Mm-hmm. So the combination of the two is probably safer than using insulin because you used to have guys, you know, overdosing themselves with insulin and passing out from hypoglycemia. Right. Right. You know, so um, so the combination of the two will enhance immediately enhance the uh, absorption into the cells. The benefit of testosterone and growth hormone is the fact in the brain they found how well it helps to short, uh, drop down inflammation, as well as they found receptors in an area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is where memory, recall, and the ability of learn new things occurs. So they found receptors for IGF-1 and for really all the hormones, pregnenolone, estradiol, testosterone. So these two, along with the others, can increase uh, cognitive ability, brain function, brain repair. So... Now, when let's say when is it? What, what are you looking for when you consider prescribing growth hormone to someone? Are you looking at a low IGF one level? Are you looking at reported symptoms? Are you looking um, at the overall picture? Maybe there are several things that are low, and this is because I mean, Dr. Terry Hertog refers to growth hormone as the most rejuvenating hormone you can take, and also the best indicator of how well you're aging, having optimal levels. I would unfortunately have to agree with him okay uh <laughs> terry I'm, a little I'm just kidding I'm a little terry if you hear this i'm kidding i just want to make terry sure not to bring up your name with my, when, when i go to his lecture <laughs> next month i'll make sure not to say i know you i was going to introduce myself oh, you're going, say, hey, you're going to vegas work. yeah you're going to so vegas I live, well one, one i live in vegas so i don't yeah. have to go anywhere but uh, what i mean is you're going to where are they at the venetian or where are they 
Yeah, yeah, the anti-aging. I haven't gone in a while. I went maybe five years ago. Okay. Um, this one, uh, I'm, I'm just really curious about. Uh, hormone replacement is something that's fairly new to me. I've always been focused on just things you can do naturally. Right. But as I, I'm 45 now, I'm coming on 46. I'm just curious to educate myself more right. and more on, well, on this methodology and see if it's a fit for me down the line. Yeah, if you go and you watch any one of the lectures I've given over the past uh, 15 years on growth hormone, which has always mm -hmm. been a very strong uh, a lecture for me because the fascination I had in anti-aging where I came out of before writing the book, Interventional Endocrinology, is that growth hormone is the penultimate hormone. It's number one. It regulates vitamin D in the kidneys. It regulates right. testosterone throughout the body. It regulates the conversion of T4 to activated T3. It works together to bulk up to muscle through the same genetics. Uh, growth hormone helps the area of the cell in the cell called the ribosome with its ability to uh, produce proteins, you know, encoded proteins through messenger RNA, DNA, messenger RNA, and transfer RNA. And so he's right that it does that. Also, it's repairs from the cellular level. I mean, I just finished with a doc who uh, fractured her ankle and had seven pins put into her little bone, the fibula. And she called me up and she said, what a horrible time she's having right right before surgery. And I told her, go get checked out and see if you're a candidate for growth hormone. She ended up being a candidate and she had her surgery. She shows me her ankle one night and then she injects her ankle. The next morning, the ankle is no longer swollen. Whether or not it was from standing or dependent, that's here nor there. But the bottom line was six weeks on her protocol, she goes back to her orthopedic surgeon and says, take the pins out. He says, you're crazy. They should be in for 12 to 18 weeks. She says, take the pins out. He takes the pins out, and he's freaked out because he's, she's got perfect heel in six weeks, x-ray, wow. on x-ray. He ends up sitting down with her while she's in recovery, talking to her about how he can get on a program. Uh, we've had a um, plastic okay. surgeon who was hit by a car who, um, well, he was riding a bicycle. He was hit by a car. He has fractures of almost all the cervical vertebrae, and he had a step-off uh, fracture of his, I think, 4-5, and he had partial paralysis of his right hand. He's a plastic surgeon. So what mm. happened was he calls me from uh, the hospital. He's getting a um, halo put on to hold his head still so that the swelling could subside so they can then go do uh, neurosurgery and repair everything. So he calls me up. We get his blood done. His wife's uh, in the uh, medical field, so she drew the blood, sent it to our lab. And I put him on a protocol for two weeks before he had a neurosurgeon repair everything. And at 12 weeks, at let's see, he was two weeks, five weeks after surgery, seven weeks from the date of injury, five weeks after surgery, the neurosurgeon takes his follow-up x-rays and so forth and freaks out because the guy is healed equivalent to 12 weeks. Six months wow. later, his paralysis disappears. He's back in the OR doing a surgery. Uh, a Navy, uh, excuse me, a Delta Force, I'm looking at a bottle of uh, Gentleman Jack that he sent me as a gift uh, from the Delta Force. He was on maneuvers, has a fracture of his left femur, his right pelvis, and his three ribs. He calls me up, and um, we uh, talk about things that he could do, and 
He does whatever he does, and he's back up and running in the shortest possible time. They didn't expect him to recover, but he recovered. Yeah, that's a very okay. impressive story. Yeah. All my patients, they come in, they get their growth hormone levels done. If they are going pre-op or uh, going fractured something and their levels show where it's low or um, there's enough uh, clinical support for it. You know, it's really difficult to say categorically you're growth hormone deficient unless you do one of these challenge tests, you know, whether or not it's the insulin tolerance test or the uh, glucagon challenge test or the uh, GHRP6 with arginine test. A lot of these tests we no longer have in the state of California. Uh, it's based upon clinical acumen uh, that you get to put people on growth hormone. Other states, you got to prove it. you got to prove it because growth hormone is expensive, and they don't right. want everybody on growth hormone. Uh, there's a new company coming out with growth hormone that I'm just talking with my uh, pharmacy, uh, one of my pharmacies that I work with, and they told me of a new brand that's coming out that will be inexpensive, and it doesn't have the restrictions that all the previous ones have. So, you know, uh, it'll be why, most why on my board. Why wouldn't it have the restrictions just developed in a different uh, delivery? I, I think, well, I think the guard is changing. And yeah. one, of my, one of my colleagues who used to take care of a lot of people in Congress, in the, both houses, uh, would, he's in New York. He would tell me how many of these people, he wouldn't tell me the names, but he'd say how many of these congressmen, House of Representatives, all these people were coming in for what? They wanted testosterone and growth hormone. And these are the same people who blocked us from getting uh, free access <laughs> or open access yeah. to growth hormone. Right. They were on it, right. you know. And, uh, you know, that's the hypocrisy. But oh, here, yeah. listen, yeah, listen yeah. to it socially. <laughs> yeah, listen to it socially. Um, let's say everybody starts on growth hormone and starts living an extra 15, 20 years. What's going to happen right. to our society? You know, <laughs> that's why we have wars and, you know, we have outbreaks and plagues and all this stuff to, you know, thin the herd. Yeah. So... Anyway, I'm just chomping on my burrito with uh, cauliflower wrap, cauliflower wrap, and um, vegetables and pea protein and all this good stuff. And I'm going to chase it down with a nice tall Coca-Cola. <laughs> all about Come on, man! It's going to it's going to lower your IGF one levels. What are you doing over there? <laughs> no, that's true. Carbohydrates and fats will. No, I'm eating omelets. Well, that's, that's, yeah, we'll get to that in a second because I was going to ask you about that. What about coffee? Because that's the other thing Dr. Hurtog talked about is about that caffeine. Even, one, even, even one cup of coffee. Okay, it's the caffeine, not necessarily other constituents of coffee. Is that because caffeine increases insulin or is it some other methodology? Um, if insulin does increase, it shuts down growth hormone production. Right. So if that's the premise he's working on, yeah. My question is, what is the real relationship between one ounce, you know, when I have a nice uh, Friday night, I'll have a small eight ounce glass of scotch. How much of my growth hormone is shut down? That I haven't seen. When you say, oh, if you take one ounce, it'll shut down 75%. Is that in one person yeah. or in every person? Right, right, right. There's got to be variability. You know, it can't be 25% across and the board. And my question is, what else associated with it? Like, what if, when you start talking about coffee, it's like, what kind of coffee are we talking about? Is it just black? 
you know, is this a latte with milk in it or, you right. know, is it right. sugar? Correct. You know, even with the scotch, it's like, well, what are you consuming while you're having the scotch? You know, why, you know, when we start talking about this one thing, you know, what about what else is going to go? Things just don't work that way by itself. Mm-hmm. There's synergy going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I usually have a 22-ounce bone and ribeye with the scotch. I, now, I had a question about um, when we were talking about the environmental toxins earlier. Um, mm-hmm. I was sitting there, and I saw um, this one guy he was just talking about. He was giving a lecture on just about the environment, especially like in Baltimore. I think that's where they were. A friend of mine was there at one of his lectures, and he was talking about, um, I think it's the dioxins or whatever. They're in the air and how they play a, a part in, with a lot of illness. And, and the most, a lot of that is coming from animals who are just being farmed in those high mm-hmm. areas and get inside yep. the fat yep. and then humans are consuming those you know those toxins as well you know via them whatever so i just want to get your take on that as well yeah uh, you know it's it's all about getting it into the system whether you inhale it or you drink it or you eat it it still gets into the system right you know so if your animals and your plants and your produce are exposed to these environmental toxins and you eat them of course you're going to get them also, you know, just the the plastic, you know, eating things with plastic right. or taking, you know, a styrofoam and microwaving your food in it and then eating yeah. it, you yeah, know, man. and there's so much in our environment, you know, the pollutants in our air. Just look at look outside. Yeah, it, it would make fact, sense, though, that that factory farm meat is the most concentrated source of these chemicals, wouldn't it, though, just given the nature of. The methods that are used there and well, what the animals are exposed to. Yeah, I, I would say yes, uh, but you have to guarantee that the grazing lands for the uh, free-range chickens and beef and so forth that the grazing lands are pure. Right. You know that you the soils have been tested down to six feet, and the plants have been tested. The grass has been tested to make sure there's no hydrocarbons or any toxins in it. Yeah. Then, then I be more agreeable towards uh, free range. But that's my <clears throat> my concern. Just saying that they're free range, they're open, they're not enclosed, and they're grazing at will, what's the quality of what they're grazing on? Right. Is it marathon or not? Another aspect... Yeah, another aspect for growth hormone... And relative to what Terry was saying, is that growth hormone increases telomerase. And you know about the telomeres, which are like a, a countdown to cellular death as it shortens with every replication. And uh, telomerase is the enzyme that could activate it. Well, we found vitamin D activates it, growth hormone activates it, testosterone activates it. I participated in an article that hasn't been published yet talking about how through the use of other hormones, can we get telomerase to increase? And then there's a product out there called TA65 that increases, uh, theoretically increases the telomerase production. And by resetting or bringing the length of the telomere, uh, or telomere as some people call it, uh, back to an original length, uh, reinvigorates the cell or increases the longevity of each cell. So growth hormone does that. Okay, so that's some of the benefits, additional benefits. 
I'm just like, yes. Notes <laughs> You're writing notes? Yeah, I have to get these. You got a, a recording lot. of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, it's just like, you know, top of the brain, man. Top of the brain. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, so this, stuff the, is, this stuff is so fascinating. fascinating. It is oh, yeah. unbelievably really fascinating. Yeah. It seems that That's growth hormone is, is such a master control hormone and it has so many benefits mm-hmm. on other hormones that that's a good place to start if someone has deficiencies in other areas. So maybe if someone has testosterone levels that are not super low but not optimal and then the growth hormone is not optimal, maybe instead of growth hormone and testosterone at the same time or a growth hormone and Clomid, you start with growth hormone and see how that affects not only growth hormone but the other hormones before going further. Uh, that, you know, that is a great way to start. Um, I haven't really looked at um, that pattern. You know, will growth hormone increase testosterone? I know growth hormone will increase um, vitamin D conversion in the kidneys. Right. And thyroid conversion from inactive T4 to active T3. That's in the literature. But I've never looked, honestly, for specifically uh, increasing production of uh, testosterone, and therefore, that would be the conversion rate of DHEA right. to testosterone. Yeah, and then some people may not want to waste time. They go, look, I don't want to do this one thing and see what happens. Let's let's replace everything so I feel great now, and we'll yep. fiddle around with stuff later. So I can understand that point of view as well. With the telomeres, that TA65, I've used it, and I thought it was an interesting compound. I noticed improved recovery and so forth. This is a while ago. It's super expensive, though. I mean, it's $600 a bottle at the retail level. You take one cap a day. Now, growth hormone is around that price, if I'm not mistaken, depending on the dosage. So it would make sense that if you're going to spend $600 on something and you have low GH levels, you might as well spend it on that so you get the benefit of improved GH, IGF-1, and then you also get the telomere lengthening. Right. Right. Again, going back to square one, growth hormone is the top of the food chain. It's the number one hormone as far as I uh, I see it. Extremely right. important. Right. And restoration, rejuvenation, these are the things that become more and more important as you get older because you have more wear and tear, your body's more beat up. So anything that is going to improve restoration and recovery so dramatically just sounds like such an asset. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'm just going to my cabinet and pulling out uh, a magazine called... Uh, outside magazine to look at the mm-hmm. date. It's yeah. 2003. In the 2003, which has on the top of it K2, uh, is a 17-page article by one of our patients talking about his experience going on our protocols and things that he talks about. He didn't need glasses anymore. He um, healed wow. scars that were 20 years of age. Let's see, it's on page, it's called uh, Drug Test, is what he called the article, Performance Enhancing Drugs. And he goes through regimens. I mean, he went through, you know, testosterone replacement, growth hormone replacement, and, uh, you know, he did a, what's a Paris to Brest um, bike ride. I don't remember, it's 100 kilometers or something like this, or 200 kilometers, yeah. some crazy length. He at 50 years of age, he said, when he finished doing it, he said the next day, let's do it again. He had the incredible recovery and his increased stamina. That, that's what a lot of people tell me who use GH. Anyone I've talked to who uses it, 
there's a there's a guy that sincere and I know in the kettlebell community. I forget his name right now. It's an older Jerry, gentleman. Jerry Gray. Yeah, yeah. When I first met this guy, he he didn't look like he belonged with his wife. You know, not to be insulted because uh-huh. he was very fit and he wasn't at all. Right. This is I met him at an anti-aging conference. Very nice guy. He was an online client for a while. And then he got on, he was at an anti-aging conference where he got on a lot of the things they recommended. So GH therapy, testosterone, and so forth. Fast forward, I saw him maybe five years later and it was night and day. It was unrecognizable. He looked great. He was lean, muscular. He was more vibrant. His energy was way higher. His mood was better. It was a total transformation. It's as if it wasn't even the same person. Yep. Uh that's some of the, um, I hate calling it uh, miraculous or miracle or astounding benefits of it. It's not astounding. If you understand the um, the cellular level, the fundamental benefits of each one of the hormones, you see that the only reason why we go through this process that they call aging is because we become deficient in one or multiple of these hormones that are predicated on maintaining quality of cellular function. Quality of repair, quality of propagation, quality of enhancement, and you lose that when you lose the hormones. And people turn around at those of us who do this longevity medicine or age management medicine, and they say, oh, you know, that's just aesthetics. Uh, You know, you just don't want (laughs) to let life take its course or, um, you know, oh, yeah, but you've heard it. Yeah. Oh, I hear yeah. it all the time, but it's stupid. It's so dumb when when people say that. I remember one time I was working out at my parents' house. I was in the front yard just lifting kettlebells, and one guy walks by with his dad, and he's like, oh, wow, it's pretty impressive. And then his dad is all hunched over. His guy's probably 80. He goes, wait till you get to my age. I go, the premise of that is that, okay, were you, were you doing what I'm doing right now when you were my age? No, you weren't, because you wouldn't have let yourself get to such a depleted state. But that's right. the attitude of people. They they have this somewhat condescending attitude when they see younger people doing physically impressive things because they're going, oh, wait till you get to my age, you're going to lose all that. And people always said, oh, you can't prolong this forever. But there's so many things you can do now that things are different. Right. I mean, look at someone like Sylvester Stallone. When I was growing up and you saw a guy who was 50 on TV, he looked like an old man. You're like, well, that's, that's an old guy. <laughs> yeah. Now you see someone like Sylvester Stallone who – he doesn't look young in the face necessarily, but he's in his 70s and he's jacked. He's ripped to shreds. He still engages in intense physical training. He's still doing action movies. He's filming another Rambo movie right now. The guy's in his yeah, 70s. Yeah, I heard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, guys like him, Dolph Lundgren, all these guys. Like, you know, did, I, did you get the uh, email I just sent you with the picture? Hold on, let me check. No, no dick pics during the show, Dr. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. So, yeah, okay. this is like crazy. I mean, this guy is 74 years old. He is jacked. He yeah, jacked. I was just looking at an updated picture of the guy we were just talking about, Jerry, who's 77, and yeah. pretty much not as jacked as this guy right here. You just sent me Dr. Gordon, yeah. but wow. Jerry's right up there. This dude is like almost 80 years old. He's actually, and he's had multiple heart attacks. I mean, hell, during the kettlebell uh-huh. competition, he actually had a cardiac arrest in a, at the end of one of our after competing in one of our competitions got wheeled out. That was like the first time I ever met him. This was like 2010, 2011. And it didn't stop him. Actually, we did a course in in Dallas in the middle of July in this hot freaking gym. And, you know, pretty much Jerry was so cool. It was like he actually was going having a cardiac episode during that, that workshop. And when we went on our lunch break, he held it together until lunch. 
And when we went to like, you know, the only place nearby was like Subway or whatever. So while everybody, all the people that were attending the course went, you know, to that Subway, he walked around the corner to Randall's, which is like a Tom Thumb Safeway type grocery store out here in Texas. He walked around there, got some aspirin. And then obviously, you know, the aspirin wasn't enough. So he, he pretty much calls, you know, he takes himself to the hospital. He checks himself to the hospital. He right. checks in or whatever. So basically no one knew. We just, we were like at the end, you know, of the lunch period. Went back. Everybody's kind of like, hey, where's Jerry? Come to find out, like, his wife calls and is checking up, you know, like, where's his bag and trying to get his stuff so he can be taken to the hospital. This dude's checked, him, checked himself in. And he's trying to get done so he can come back the next day and work in the workshop again. <laughs> Even though the doctors, they, tried to, they told him, like, no, you can't go back. And he was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> so yeah. this this is a dude that's had multiple heart episodes before, and he's just sitting there like, I'm good. I'm Okay, something's going wrong. I'm about to have a heart attack. Let me check myself into the hospital. I don't have to tell anybody to make a big deal about this. I'll be good. I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> so these are the type of guys I'm looking at like, you know what, when you get that age, you know, I want to be that I want to be that hardcore. <laughs> when yeah. you're not sitting there so dependent on someone like, oh, my God, call 911. I fall and I can't get up. He's just like, I'll, I'll take my damn self to the hospital. Actually, I won't even need to go to the hospital. I'll just just – it out they're feeling so vibrant and whatever well, I think, I think yeah. the key is is if you want to be like that at that age then you have to start now you're not going exactly. to just decide exactly. that you're 70 and you've had low growth hormone for 30 years and then you go okay let me get on all the stuff sure there's going to be improvements but not at the same level if you start Correct. much earlier so that's a mistake a lot of people make is they go well i'm only 40 so i don't want to do this yet well if you're suffering all the, the, the negatives of having low gh low testosterone it doesn't really matter what your age is Matters what your numbers are. So you could be Correct. 35 and have depleted GH and it's not coming back. Also, Absolutely. part of that problem is also these general practitioners. Also, when you go in and you ask them to be tested for this, and you know you want to check and see where your levels are, and so you can address them. Where you know if you're someone around our age, they're already asking like, why you want to? Why do you want to do that? I've had doctors do that every time. I just go for yep. a year. Like, well, why would you want to do that? I'm like, you just about, yeah, yeah, that's for when you get older. I was like, dude, that's because I don't want this to happen when I get older. Let's let's start fixing this thing now. Why would I want to sit here and not get a tune-up on my car now and just wait for the engine to blow up one day and be like, oh, now i got to get a whole new engine when I could have been addressing the small things in the first place, like an oil yeah. change and a tune-up here and there, change the spark plugs. That's what I'm trying to do right now because those are less expensive and less invasive. So it's like, why would you not yeah, want to do that? It, it's proactive instead of inactive. Exactly. You know? And then here's, here's some of the lectures I give to um, – to the docs relative to the hormone specifically we'll talk since we're talking about growth hormone growth hormone is that in uh 2004 and then in 2010 they found that 61 percent of the people that had what we call atypical or treatment resistant depression 61 percent of them had growth hormone deficiency and within one to two months of replenishing the growth hormone their depression disappeared and they ended up with four additional benefits. They slept better. They had more mental energy. They were more socially uh, interactive. And they weren't as uh, reactive, emotionally reactive to environment. And yeah. it's because of the inflammation. And then inflammation, each one of our hormones, testosterone, growth hormone, uh, pregnenolone, uh, um, progesterone, estradiol, they all have an anti-inflammatory uh, effect on the immune system in lowering the things that we call cytokines and leukotrienes that create inflammation. And article came out in November of last year that I presented to the military last, uh, when it first came out was that um, associated with two of the 
most caustic uh, inflammatory chemicals, interleukin-6 and tumor necrosis factor alpha, they were associated with high occurrence of schizophrenia, depression, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, anxiety, bipolar, obsessive-compulsive, ALS, um, post-traumatic, um, you know, post-brain uh, injury symptomatology, um, about 10 different uh, illnesses, multiple sclerosis, all associated with inflammation. And replenishing these hormones decrease the inflammation. So for brain you health... Take, you take DHEA, testosterone, growth hormone, you balance testosterone and estrogen ratio, talking in, in men here, then you mm -hmm. should see a big reduction in C-reactive protein and other inflammatory Correct. markers. Yeah. Correct. Well, uh, DHEA in the brain uh, drops interleukin-6. So interleukin-6 mm -hmm. is what turns on C-reactive protein in the liver. So what happens is um, when you get a cold, you either feel smarter or less smart. Most people say, I feel less smart because you feel foggy and cognition right. is gone. You're irritable. You want to sleep and you leave me alone kind of thing. And they found a higher level of interleukin-6, but DHEA decreases when it's sulfonated in the brain through the astrocytes, the glial cells in the brain drops interleukin-6. Growth hormone is a cytokine, which is interleukin-6, is a cytokine modulator. So you drop all these things. And in 1952, there was an article that started it with DHEA as an antidepressant. And then in 1994, Dr. Morales does this major double-blind crossover study on DHEA and finds 30% reduction in um, depression. DHEA, vitamin D. If you look at the literature on vitamin D, which is increased by growth hormone in the kidneys, by the kidneys production, uh, has antidepressing effects, has right. protection of the heart. So the cardiovascular literature is talking about the anti-inflammation benefits on the heart of vitamin D. It also increases the production of testosterone in the testicles and in the ovaries, in the gonads. I'll say gonads. So, just on and now on with, and on. Sometimes people go, I don't want to take hormones because it's going to shut down my own production. And there's yep. always two points that are obvious there. One, your production is so low, who cares, in a lot of people's cases. But the other right. one being, <laughs> Dr. Terry Hertog and others said that is generally just a 30% suppression. It's not, a, it's not that it shuts it down 100% and then you're replacing it with whatever you're giving yourself. You think well, that's pretty accurate where there's just... No, I don't think it's accurate. No. Uh, let's see, I have a couple of articles that uh, talk about within, let's see, within 48 hours of using growth hormone, you get a 40% reduction in growth hormone production by the brain. In 30 days, it's down to zero. Now, right, back, right. You know, in back when uh, I started doing a lot more clinical assessment of our product secretropin, I started looking at this this parameter of uh, suppression. And we have a gal that, um, one of the key cases, five years on injectable growth hormone, she stops it and she crashes and burns. She's not generating growth hormone. And we waited a year, didn't start generating it. We put her onto the secretropin and it took about nine months before she had a pop. She just popped up. And, you know, what I recommend to people who do take growth hormone is that they go on to 
a um, secretagogue and they go on arginine, and the arginine drops the somatostatin, which shuts off your normal circuitry. But there is a benefit of somatostatin. We found that somatostatin, which suppresses growth hormone, also stimulates the immune system. It's a major stimulator of the immune system and regulation of the hypothalamus. So, you know, there's a benefit of, uh, you know, of growth hormone being elevated, stimulating somatostatin that drops the growth hormone and but has benefit on growth on, uh, excuse me, on the immune system. You know, in 18 years, I've been in my new office for 18 years, geez, 18 years. Um, I, I have been sick nine days uh, with colds. People say I'm sick in other means, but nine days uh, only in 18 years, except for my gallbladder, which I don't include. You know, my gallbladder, mm-hmm. here's one, my gallbladder explodes, ruptures, and uh, end up being, you know, carted to the emergency room, end up having mm-hmm. emergency surgery, and uh, I get a, I'm get on the table for three hours. I get off the table and into recovery, and I wake up clear-headed, telling jokes. I get carted back to my room, and they want to, you know, carry me, lift me onto the bed. I said, no, let me just walk over. And I, they look at me, and I just walk there. They hand me the urinal to go and give them a, I said, with all you people, I'm going to the bathroom. I stand up, take my pole with my IV, and I walk myself to the bathroom. The guy comes back and says, do you need anything for pain or for nausea? I said, no, I don't have any pain, and I don't have any nausea. Six hours after surgery or after recovery, I call my surgeon, Doug, and I said, look, I'm ready to get out of here. He says, yeah, I've heard what you've been doing. I was eating full meals in six hours. And uh, he says, look, because your gallbladder ruptured, I got to leave you for 24 hours on antibiotics. I said, got it. And I stopped bugging him. Comes in the next morning, and he's sitting at the foot of the bed signing me out. He says, what the fuck have you been doing? I said, what do you mean? What the fuck have I been doing? He says, in 35 years of doing uh, general surgery, he's never had anyone who had ruptured the gallbladder. He said, I think it was dramatic. He says, we almost lost you on the table. And, um, and you wake up telling jokes. You go back to your room. You start doing everything as though you never had surgery. I said, I'm recovering fast. And the benefit of all the stuff that I had been on, at that time I had been on my program maybe for 10 years, my protocol for 10 years, and it predisposes you to recover a lot faster. You know, when Mm. you have this great uh, armament around you, built up resilience and recovery and, and great running hormones, when you get threatened by surgery or things happening to you, I mean, that gallbladder thing was the most painful thing in the world. Uh, I don't know how it is giving birth to to babes, you know, (laughs) my wife, we've had three kids, but, uh, you know, and then my partner, Andrew's had seven, Um, not him, but his wife, Becky. And, uh, you know, I can relate to the amount of pain, but I was out of the hospital. I had surgery on on Friday and I was out of the hospital at 12 o'clock on Saturday. They just, you know. They freaked out. But healing capacity, the recovery, the rebound, you know, the resiliency that we see in children with high levels of growth hormone in the threes, fours, hundreds, five hundreds on growth hormone, they break yeah. something, they heal rapidly. They get oh, a yeah. cut, they yeah. heal rapidly. Exactly. So exactly. don't we want that as adults that are putting ourselves in harm's way, stepping out of the house, going to, right. you know, a bar, not knowing if someone's going to be shooting it up or stabbing you here or whatever. Right. That's my cynicism and my resilient. Yeah. yeah, those are valid points, though. You want to be as resilient as possible for as Correct. long as possible. 
Why isn't that Correct. something that everyone would want? And that's actually, you know, I'm looking at my, I'm just, just real quick. I'm looking at my testosterone numbers from the last test. So on a free testosterone, you want to be in the upper three fourths, right? And the reference if, range here is 35 to 155 pgml. And yeah, mine, was, mine was, yeah, mine is 120.5. So that's okay. towards the higher end. Is that a yeah, pretty good number? The, yeah, you take the low number, add it to the mm -hmm. high number, divide it by two, yeah. and that's the midpoint. So okay. you want oh, to that yeah. Yeah. Okay. be above that midpoint. Yeah, you want to be above that midpoint. And if you're above that midpoint, great. And, but that's free testosterone. The total yeah, testosterone, testosterone is worthless, you know. And then what you want to well, do it's is... Just, for, it's fun when you have a high number, though, because you tell people about it. It's kind of like talking about no, your bench press number. It's no, like, hey, it's not my total <laughs> yeah, it's not good if you have a high number. The guy who had 853 and only less than five on his free, that's horrible. But, so that's basically, horrible what if you have a high total and a high free? Isn't that desirable? No. Or it doesn't matter. So if you have low total and high free, that's fine. Ideal. That's okay. ideal. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, that's very interesting. That's ideal? No, because I, I just made a new slide. I just gave a, a lecture on testosterone in Arizona. And I made a new slide which shows where free testosterone goes, which ones are usable, active, which in the brain. For me, it's all about brain. Which ones are right. active and which ones are inactive. The majority of it is not bioavailable. Bioavailable, available to be used by your biological system, your brain, your body, your whatever. Okay? Yeah. So you can go online and look up bioavailable and put in your albumin, your sex hormone binding globulin, and your total testosterone, and you'll calculate mm -hmm. out what your bioavailable is, and then you look at the bioavailable. And then play with the numbers. Put in a high total, and uh, yeah, put in a high total, and look at what they say that your bioavailable will be, and look at your results. Right. So I do a 2% right. thing. I do a 2%. So if you're... A thousand, you should have someplace around twenty on the um, on the right. free. And if you have right. four and you have a thousand on total and four on the free, you, that's not good. Yeah, it tells us that you're converting the stuff to something else. You where are you losing it? The question is, where is it going? That's what needs to be what answered. If, what, if you have, what if you have a low total testosterone and your free is not high, but it's not low? So the ratio That's, of total to free is do two percent. So okay. give me a hypothetical. Three hundred. So it's always going to be two percent. Yeah, let's say the yeah, thing someone's total is three hundred. Yeah, so that means they should be above six. Okay, so if they're at three hundred and they're above six, then that means they're okay. It's not necessarily that means it's, I'm, I'm, right, but their it's numbers not are optimal. okay. Anyway. Correct. Right, it's right. not optimal. Okay. Okay. What we found in you know over two thousand three hundred patients is um, between twelve and fourteen on our scale, which is one point six to twenty seven. The midpoint's fourteen. Twenty eight divided mm -hmm. by two is fourteen. Right. So right. between tw twelve and sixteen, two points on either side. That's where you want to have them. And I've had a guy, a military, a, vet, a veteran, who is at thirteen point. Uh, 13.93 on his free testosterone and had all the symptoms as though he had no testosterone. Right. First case, first right. case I saw like that. So what we did was a little test. We, not testosterone, a little e experiment. 
And what we did is we increased his testosterone free until it was above 15. And that's when the world changed for him. His mm. depression, his suicide, his inanition, his lack of energy, his uh, lack of libido, everything had just turned around. So it right. taught me that being strict by the m numbers, following the numbers, is wrong. It's not the yeah. most accurate. You yeah. treat the no patient, doubt. not the numbers. No Absolutely. But I always yeah, keep the numbers. Yeah, I always keep the numbers in the standard of care, the medical community's normal range. I never go above the range. So if the max yeah. is 27, I never let anybody get above 27 because I stay within the acceptable uh, hypothetical, phys mythological, physical, uh, uh, physiological range. Yeah, because these ranges aren't even reference ranges. They're just statistical correct. ranges, right? This is they're, the they're statistics not, result correct. of everyone that's ever yeah. been tested. Yeah, there's a, a horrible two books, two volumes that I went through. Uh, in 1975, two biostatisticians wrote about laboratory tests. At that time in 75, they were called normal reference ranges that morphed uh -huh. into what's called reference ranges. Why were they right. no longer normal? Because they're not normal. <laughs> they're not normal. They're hypothetical, trumped-up kind of results that are based upon a hundred different people or a thousand different people who sampled their blood, which don't represent you. And the right. only parameter is they had to be healthy. What does healthy mean at that time, that they weren't on drugs and so forth? How about the ones who had a under, you know, um, a, a cancer growing or people who were alcoholics or drinking or taking drugs and never told you? Or the right. people that had right. genetic predisposition towards this kind of hormonal parameters, as opposed to, you know, like Middle Eastern having higher conversion to DHT. Mm -hmm. You know, that's why the baldness as well as body hair and so forth. You know, <laughs> certain, back and so forth. Yeah. You got it. So they have a higher <laughs> occurrence of uh, conversion to DHT, uh, testosterone DHT. So that's, that's why just a genetic. Not, that's just a genetic thing, or is that... Uh, yeah, genetics predispose us to our enzymes. Our enzymes predispose us to the pathways. Right. It's like right. DHEA, D, the reason why we do both estrone and estradiol levels is because I want to know what their genetic makeup is. DHEA right. can go down the left pathway and become estrone or go down the right, not correct, but the right pathway and become estradiol. And mm -hmm. between DHEA on the left is androstenedione, and between DHEA and estradiol on the right is testosterone. So we've had people who have had low levels of uh, testosterone and high levels of estradiol, and people who have had high levels of estrone. What's happening is they have too much mm -hmm. rapid conversion of testosterone to estradiol and rapid conversion of DHEA through adenosinedione to estrone. So you yeah. see high levels, and then people who have had high levels of estrone, low levels of estradiol, and that's because they never converted either from DHEA to testosterone or from testosterone to, DH, uh, to estradiol. And you can see it if you do the comprehensive labs. And that's what right. we do is comprehensive labs. Right. And they don't have to be expensive. The laboratory that I referenced in the beginning, uh, I had a doctor call me. It says, uh, she said, um, uh, I can't trust that lab. I said, why not? Their prices are too low. I said, why is that? In comparison to the other laboratory, the one that starts with a Q, their prices were three <laughs> times as much. 
And I've I said, that one oh. starts with a Q. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. I said to I said to the doctor, she was in San Francisco, I said, okay, I've got the great way to resolve this t- dilemma you have. She says, what's that? I said, I'll tell them to charge you three times as much. <laughs> she says, but that doesn't prove that they're not wet labbing or dry labbing. You know, they're artificially yeah, just yeah, putting yeah. numbers down. They're not. Right, I've right. been there. I'm medical director of education for them, so I educate doctors on the difference from lab to lab and technological or technology that they use in the lab, you know, the different uh, mass spec and ILP and radioimmune assay and chemiluminescence and uh, ELISA testing. Each one has a uh, sensitivity and an accuracy built in. The best one's mass spectroscopy, LCMS, Mm -hmm. MSMS, yeah. So that's a little bit of technology. So the people out there listening, not all labs are the same. Not all results are optimal. So that's why you have to know what the results are. That's why I stopped accepting uh, labs from outside because outside you can't guarantee that they are um, that they are accurate. Mm. So that's what it's about, now, with, accuracy. With replacing, yeah, no doubt. With replacing hormones, let's say you pro- replace pregnenolone, you replace DHEA, maybe the client has Clomid or TRT. So yep. You have all these different hormones that can convert to estrogen. Is there a greater likelihood of conversion to estrogen when you're taking all of these hormones at the same time? Um, you know, one would intuitively say, well, you take a lot more of this stuff, you're going to have a greater occurrence of conversion. What dictates the conversion, it's the level of the estradiol synthetase. And you can actually induce this estradiol synthetase just like you can induce the 5-alpha reductase to convert testosterone to DHT um, by giving excessive amounts. The body adapts. That's the beauty of the body. You put a lot of stuff right. into the body, and it increases the enzymes to get rid of it. In a male, yeah. more 5-alpha reductase to get it from testosterone, which is inactive, to DHT, which is active. And yeah. if you're a female, you're going to convert the estradiol to, I mean, convert the testosterone to estradiol, because that's what, you know, the foundational hormone of a female's body is right. in most. Right. So now, now also, well, hold on a second. I'm about to lose. I feel like my connection's about to break here. Okay. Now with DHEA, can that also oh, DHEA also increases growth hormones? So would there be some benefit of taking it before bedtime, for example? What DHEA? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Again, it's all about the enzyme system. Yes, DHEA does convert to testosterone in about a hundred. Uh, let's see, it's a hundred twenty minutes. I think is when it starts converting to testosterone. It takes about mm-hmm. uh, what forty minutes to get absorbed. Uh, I have a chart. Um, I don't think I sent it to you. Uh, if you remind me, I'll send you the lecture I just made on DHEA and pregnenolone oh, okay. for yeah, for a class. Yeah, um, and. It converts. It gets absorbed within 40 minutes, and about 120 minutes, you already see it converting. You see a spike, and this is based on a loading dose of 50 milligrams in healthy young males. I think they were 25 to 30 years of age. So you see this pattern of increase. So yes, to answer your question simply, yes, DHEA is the first precursor to um, testosterone. You remember AD1? Well, what about its growth hormone? Does it increase IGF-1 or growth hormone as well? Uh, growth hormone, uh, you know, I can't answer that. 
uh, that yeah. growth hormone I, through IGF-1 increases the conversion of DHEA to testosterone. I don't no, I mean, know that. DHEA, does DHEA increase growth hormone levels is what I mean. So oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, there was a study done, and they found a 20% increase in women more than men. Right, in right. Women. I saw that, too. Yeah, in my, I don't know if I have it in this slide, slide set I sent you, but it's in my uh, secretagogue um, secretropin lecture, the CME one. It doesn't have any advertisements in it. And I right. put into, that, uh, into mm -hmm. that presentation all the things that we know that are growth hormone secretagogues, like melatonin, vitamin D, estradiol, and so forth, and things mm -hmm. that stop it. I think in, uh, I think I did a parallel chart in the, slide set I sent you, which is um, uh, growth hormone on the left and IGF-1 on the right. I don't know where it is in this whole thing. Oh, there it is. Yeah, so you can go look at that whole list. Yeah, I will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you have time. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'll definitely look at it. Now, final questions. We know you have to go soon. What yeah. about birth control pills and growth mm -hmm. hormone? Any negative impact? Great question. Um, since I, I personally don't see a lot of women, uh, my daughter, uh, Allison, uh, she's yeah. the naturopathic doc who started working on it. She's seeing more of my female patients. Um, but looking at it uh, through the understanding of estradiol stimulating the production of um, growth hormone, they're not giving you estradiol. There's these really weird forms of estrogen that they've given you, and these really right. weird forms of estrogen shut off testosterone through a feedback mm -hmm. loop. So all the women that I would see uh, for HRT uh, would have come in on birth control pills had piss-poor levels of free testosterone. Um, yeah, because of uh, they're not getting the uh, they're getting a shut off of luteinizing hormone. And their growth hormone levels are low because they're not getting the benefit of estradiol. So it does influence both growth hormone and testosterone negatively. And I see it. Okay, I, you know, I have three daughters, so I run their yeah. labs. I run their labs, and I tell them, get off the bloody pills. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All right, now this is the final question, This, but just before we wrap Next it up. Next to the final, or is this the final? <laughs> no, this is it. This is it. <laughs> this, this is a pretty important one, so I wanted to make sure we got this one in. Now, growth, I watched some of your early lectures. Some of your lectures 10 years ago or so forth are on YouTube, and you talked about how difficult it is to get growth hormone prescribed. Has right. that changed at all? Is it different it's, now? Is it a different landscape? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. Uh, there was some... Um, Court, there was a major court case that happened in the state of California, which changed the way the rest of the country, uh, changed how we in California can prescribe growth hormone. Uh, throughout the United States, generally, it was you had to do a challenge test. And the challenge test is where you, you know, you put people at risk, giving them insulin to drop their blood sugar to 40. If they don't have a stroke or heart attack, they might have a drop in their growth hormone level. But in a French study, looking at some 3,000 of these cases, they found that in the majority of cases that it wasn't reproducible. So doing a one-time insulin challenge test was not reproducible, showing the same results. Then they okay. did a ba another group did a back-to-back -back study where they looked at um, 
They looked at uh, the first and the second. In a lot of the cases, they found that they were inconsistent. University of St- uh, Stanford University said many years ago, it's on the slides that I gave you, the article, and they said that their recommendation because of the inconsistency in doing the insulin challenge test was don't do it. Don't do it. And then one of the gurus in, um, uh, in Philadelphia, I just blanked on his name, stated that the best way to determine whether or not you're deficient in growth hormone is if you have a level less than 100, if your IGF-1 is less than 100 on right. fasting, you know? Right. And in the state of California, um, because of this one legal case by a doctor who was one of the original founders of the um, anti-aging uh, community uh, back in the uh, early 90s, um, fought a case, and he won the case, basically allowing him... He, him and doctors who, based on their appropriate clinical acumen, to utilize growth hormone if they did the test like the IGF-1 and the binding protein 3 and the growth hormone levels and found that they were deficient with supportive symptomatology. Like uh, in the 2006, July 2006, ESPN I did, David Segui was on it, who had 17 failed elbow surgeries. His brilliant physician, not me, his brilliant physician, did a simple blood test for growth hormone level and found it so low that he put him on growth hormone and boom, his elbow problems disappeared. Wow. Wow. So incredible at recovery, incredible hormones. It seems like it should also be something that's accessible Really, it should be. What if, what if your number's at, let's say, 250, right? Which is a pretty good number. But yes. you want the benefits of being at 350 or 400, upper end. Mm-hmm. It's probably, you're probably going to have a difficult time getting a prescription, yes. though, even though it would be beneficial Correct. for you. Well, that being beneficial, you know, in the medical community, you know, I, right. I That's consult. Not so worthy. <laughs> yeah, I consult for the medical board and I follow all their guidelines in my practice, as well as, you know, and when I share things with other people, um, you have to work within the community of medicine. So me as a physician, I as a physician, more grammatically correct, I as a physician, um, would look at these things. I had uh, someone come to me just recently who asked me to prescribe to them growth hormone. I looked at their lab results. I looked at their history, and their growth hormone levels were fantastic. And they had nothing really uh, that was a physiological complaint. And I basically said, you know, with these numbers and so forth, I it would be inappropriate based on the uh, standard of care in my community to dispense it, you know. And that's what it's about. That's why it would be difficult for a physician because our licenses are based upon the uh, hive mentality, If the queen says, you know, this is the level that you can use testosterone at 280 or less, uh, you won't go above that unless you have the symptomatology uh, to support it. You know, the the thing that's the most challenging is that these numbers, these contrived numbers are being Mm -hmm. used to dictate whether or not you're feeling good or not. And what happens frequently, the veterans that come in here, inclusive of my partner, ex-Green Beret, Andrew Marr, they come in and they said, I've been to the VA six times and they keep on telling me that my testosterone levels are normal. And I look at the paper, the range of normal is from 320 to 1200 and their number is 327. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> right. And Even that range no. is ridiculous when you think about it. I go, oh, the normal range is 300 to 1,200. Well, that's a big range. Yeah. And why? Yeah. why? So someone at 1,200 is going to feel a lot different than 300. Someone at 800 is going to feel a lot yeah. different than 400. But it's all normal. You're putting all those people in the same category. The numbers were skewed. Something skewed the numbers. You know, something skewed them. Yeah. You know, what I do is I treat the patient, not the numbers, and I document, right. you know, we have a very extensive intake uh, packet, which is like 25 pages, and in it, it has mm. psychiatric, psychological assessments, it has physical assessments about musculoskeletal, because, uh, you know, I had a football player who had retired, and he had chronic knee pain. He had like five arthroscopic surgeries on his knees, and he still had chronic pain. And I found that he was low in his free testosterone. We gave him a in office an injection of testosterone, um, and uh, that was on a Thursday. And on Monday, he sends back our um, paper, our questionnaire, specifically about how he responded to that injection. He said his knees were 150 percent better in that yeah. four-day period of time because he was deficient. Testosterone is an incredible anti-inflammatory uh, product. Yeah. Anti-inflammatory. Okay? Well, and even with this. growth hormone, it's, it sounds like even if you aren't deficient, there's benefits of just upping your levels for the purpose of restoration. Maybe you have some aches and pains, some old injuries, and you go through a course of, let's say, four to eight months, and you can stay longer, obviously, but there should be some recuperation benefits. Right. Of doing something right. like that, no, so it, I, it should I, be your right as a citizen to do that. Is where I'm going. I should right. be like, look, I don't care. My number is okay, but I'm dealing with these aches and pains, and I've researched growth hormone, and it's, it looks like it can help with that. So I want right. the restoration properties. Yeah, I had an Israeli Mossad agent who had chronic back from some crash or whatever he had, and he had multiple surgeries on his back, and he had chronic back pain. And so what we did in testing right. him, because of the traumas, the traumatic brain injury, he had deficiency of growth hormone and testosterone. And once we yeah. replaced them, his back pain disappeared. And then when he ran go. out of either testosterone or growth hormone, and he wasn't, you know, wasn't either in, in country or he was you know, just delayed, he would call and say, look at the pain's back. And sometimes we'd run his labs and corroborate his complaint with his levels, and there it was. Yeah. No, you just think about how many people are walking around that have cut out activities that they used to enjoy because they mm -hmm. have an accumulation of injuries over years, wear and tear. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't go hiking anymore because of this. I got knee issues. Oh, I can't play with my kids at the playground because I got elbow issues. Just whatever it is that could benefit from growing, going to a proto, getting tested properly. I mean, and getting tested is just going to confirm how depleted they are. Anyone who feels like that doesn't have optimal levels. You know, so we, we already right. know that coming in. And then you get them on a rejuvenation type program of testosterone replacement, DHEA growth hormone, and the quality of their life turns around. All of a sudden, right. things that they had cut out, they can do again. I mean, that, yeah. that's just miraculous. It should be more more, more, more socially active, uh, not a burden to society. You know, I went right. on Medicare. I went yeah. on Medicare uh, two years ago, and I haven't used it, don't plan on using it, because the quality of my health is just, you know, stupendous. They send right. me stuff from the insurance company. They say, um, you're entitled to get an annual physical. 
Well, if I was to go and get an annual physical, I'd bring them my lab results, my underwear, and they can do all the testing they want. <laughs> how good how good's your gut health, uh, Dr. Gordon, since you're talking about feeling your underwear. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciated that. We needed a little break there. Uh, gut health. Gut health, extremely, extremely important because... If your gut health is low, you're going to lose yeah. leptins, you're going to lose growth hormone in the right. brain. My daughter, right. Allison, does gut mm. brain, and we find a lot of guys, you know, under stress, it uh, creates inflammation in the gut, and that inflammation right. in the gut can lead to dysbiosis where you're not uh, absorbing your food because you've killed off from the stress and the change in the gut uh, uh, environment, you've killed off the uh, bacteria that the Bi probiotics is the name of the product, but you've killed off the bacteria, which is in the right. product. Right. And the, what I use is kefir because it's inexpensive and it's a liquid form and it has 10,000, uh, it has uh, 10 different strains, the ones at uh, Trader Joe's, 12 different strains at Whole Foods. And you mm -hmm. just drink like four ounces and it helps with the gut. We have a guy that uh, came in, he was a type uh uh, insulin resistant type 2 diabetes, obese, all in the abdomen. And uh, we corrected his hormones, gave him chromium polynicotinate, and he was no longer diabetic. And in 54 mm. days, he lost uh, 36 pounds by correcting wow. the gut, correcting the hormones. People don't understand that are diabetic, you need to make sure your testosterone levels are super good because testosterone and um, testosterone and DHEA, I just sent out... Uh, an article, you know, I have a journal club for the five, six hundred docs that uh, have taken my class, which um, has shown that uh, testosterone and DHEA both regulate a cell wall receptor called the GLUC4, which helps to bring transport sugar into the cell. So if you're testosterone deficient or DHEA deficient, what happens is this system doesn't work as well. So where does the sugar accumulate? In the blood. And when it accumulates in the blood, it sends a signal to the pancreas to say, hey, make some more insulin. Right. So we'll see people yeah. with what they used to call metabolic syndrome before that mm -hmm. syndrome X. Now they're calling it insulin-resistant type 2 diabetes. And we've right. reversed 30, 31 cases we've reversed so far. And I tell people out there that when they go to the doctor, make sure they do a, you know, a fasting blood sugar, a fasting insulin, and a fasting hemoglobin A1C, and you look at the results. Right. If the insulin right. is elevated, blood sugar is low, and hemoglobin A1C is normal or elevated, you, you're at risk for uh, this insulin resistance. It's a pre-diabetic, and we reverse it. Chromate, there was a phenomenal article on chromate, which helps to enhance this GLUC4 receptor deal. It improves the way it works. So testosterone, DHEA, and chromium polynicotinate helps to reduce the accumulation of sugar in the, in the blood. So I've got diabetics who are type 1 diabetics, insulin-dependent ones, who when they get on a protocol need one-third less insulin because their body becomes more sensitive to it. Much better. Yes, impressive. What yeah, about, what about something like met, what about something like metformin? Is there obviously it works for glucose control and insulin resistance, but is there any negative impact on androgens or testosterone hormones? Uh, I don't I don't know. I mean, I started looking at metformin, and um, you know, some of the people that come in um, 
are obese because of metformin, what happens huh. is if you increase your insulin, that's what it's supposed to do is increase insulin. Insulin is called what? The hormone of storage. Right, right. So in people who have type 2 insulin-resistant diabetes, they're fat in the middle, their abdominal girth is large, they get skinny legs and skinny arms. And that's because <laughs> the insulin is telling them to store the guts right. where you store it, adipose right. tissue. You store it on yeah. the omentum. You store it intra-abdominally. And that's where the problem is from those things using metformin. Yeah, the reason why they're using metformin is to keep the blood sugar level by increasing insulin, and they get right. hypoglycemic, they get faintish, um, which is another country, faintish, like Polish. Yeah. <laughs> and so, bad jokes, I know. Um, so, <laughs> remember, anything that I might talk about, there's a price to pay for everything you do to your body. Right, you, right. You, you're making it better on this side. They used to talk about growth hormone increasing cancer risk. We now that know that's a myth. It actually decreases it by stimulating this uh, binding protein 3, if right. you right. create it. You know, but everything we do for our body, thinking it's positive, you got to look for what the deleterious side effects are because nothing is for free. Right. And if you keep that in mind, you'll point. never get caught. You caught yeah. for doing something and getting screwed on the back end, not unless <laughs> it's enjoyable. <laughs> well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Hopefully. Talking about the yeah. back. <laughs> No, no conversation is complete without that. Yeah. All right. Actually, just one thing on insulin. Elevated. What would be an elevated insulin? Above five? No. Uh, insulin is uh, maxes uh, postprandial after eating at about twenty-five by most laboratories between oh, I three what about and a fasting. A fasting insulin number. Uh, between three and ten. Okay. Okay. And then if here, here's, I do have people who are on the um, ketogenic diet that are on no carb diets and they come in and their insulin level is like 1.6 and yeah. that says by the lab low and people will freak out and say, oh, this patient is diabetic. They're not making insulin. You just look at the blood sugar. The blood right. sugar is right. normal. You're good. And it's because, and then you ask them, you know, you always ask them, what, are you on any unique diets? Yeah, I'm on a water diet. You know, so that'll cause, you know, what stimulates uh, insulin is, is glucose. Right. Okay. And, and glucose, what, what do you think is an optimal range of fasting glucose, below 85? Well, you know, uh, by, the, uh, by the school of medicine, you know, they like seeing it, and it all depends on your laboratory. Less than 100, less than 80, less than 70. Yeah, if I get less than 150, I get uh, lightheaded and so forth. Really? No. So you like to have your... <laughs> no. <laughs> you never know what that was going to be like, because I know your cholesterol is super high. Now you're going to tell me your blood sugar is 150 and you feel great. No, no. My blood sugar is always in the 70s, 80s. But something yeah, happened. Yeah, my standard cholesterol of 200, uh, 350, I just had my blood work done, and it dropped down to 243. Wow. Yeah, I, it dropped 107 points, and I can't figure out what's wrong with me because, you know, <laughs> cholesterol is what helps cell membranes. It helps produce, you know, provide the brain with all the neurosteroids. It helps below the neck with all right. the neuroactive steroids. You need that yeah. stuff. 
You need yeah. that stuff. So I don't know what I changed in my in my nutrition, my physical activity. I haven't the foggiest, but it dropped. And I had a, a another ultra-fast CT scan of my bod, and my coronary arteries now are still clear as a bell. That's great. Yeah. That's interesting so, about cholesterol. Though. I mean, you... I mean, 243 is not a low number, but you still, you prefer it to be higher. Um, there was a subpopulation in the Framingham study, uh, mm-hmm. which talked about people who had uh, cholesterol levels less than 200 versus people with greater than, I think, 280. They yeah. found that the people with less than 200 had a greater occurrence of uh, dementia, Alzheimer's-like dementia. And it wow. makes sense because cholesterol is the precursor to the neurosteroids that protect the brain. And that's why yeah. we see people with football injuries getting Alzheimer's disease 19 times more readily between 30 and 49 years of age is because mm. they're not making the protective pregnenolone, progesterone, allopregnenolone, testosterone, estradiol, all those hormones that come from cholesterol in the brain yeah. are lost. Right. And they're anti-inflammatory right. benefits, and they're cell-stimulating. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And that's what I do in neuroendocrinology with all the uh, traumatic brain injury cases. It's all based yeah. on that. And let me segue, if I may. Um, new sure. product coming out. Uh, it's posted on my website, uh, which is um, a product called Brain Care 2, which is mm-hmm. uh, in the past 15 years that I've been working with uh, traumatic brain injury cases, using nutraceutical products to help address the inflammation of the brain. This is a composition of six of those key products that we found over the past 15 years for helping with recovery of traumatic brain injury with the fogginess, the cognitive, the emotional kind of stuff. And it's in a nanoliposomal solution, so it brings it into the system at a very higher, higher quantity than if you just put the capsule, you know, sucked up a capsule with most of the stuff being destroyed in the gut. So that'll right. be out uh, next year. Um, let's see. Uh, that's that's about it. Oh, Great. the new movie? Any, any, any... Oh, yeah. I saw the trailer the other day. That was yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah um, that, uh, that'll be out uh, March or April. It's, you know, based on my, um, my partner's book um, called uh-huh. Tales yeah. from the Blast Factory. Do you get a copy yeah, of that? I read that. Yeah, I did. I read it. It's great. Okay, good. Excellent. Very good. That, that's right. going to be a movie in the theaters, or that's going to be just um, online? It, no, it's going to be, uh, they're going to have uh, whatever they call it, release, you know, uh, general release. Right. Um, general release. And then uh, the producer, Jerry Shear, has done a lot of uh, documentaries, a two-time Emmy Award winner, and some of her work has ended up on Discovery, on you know the cable channels and so forth. But a lot of them have, uh, I, I forgot the term for it, where it's public release, where it's released in theaters, a limited amount of theaters. Limited screens, yeah. Limited screens. Limited screens, yeah. So it's screening. Limited release, yeah. 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 yeah whatever yeah. it's called, that's what they're going to be doing. And right. we had uh, some very, um, very interesting... Um, requests for screening of it by some interesting organizations as well as uh, some of the new people who have come on board uh, the project uh, as a means of people recognizing this person will b- draw people to see the, m- the movie. So off off recording, I can share that with you. Sounds good. Well, hey, we always appreciate it. Great information as always. Well, thanks and- for the uh, the stage. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. And what's your website again, Dr. Gordon? Uh, let's see. The website today is uh, tbimedlegal.com. All right. Well, thanks again. We appreciate it. We'll Excellent do. information as always. You have a great one. All right. One. Super. All right. You, too. To you Thank Bye. you both. Thanks, All right. You take care. Bye-bye. So it's always, yeah, it's, I mean, he always gives me so much to think about whenever he comes on the show. I'm always taking notes and thinking about stuff. But there's, there's a lot of things I want to try since having talked yeah. to Dr. Gordon. He's looked, he's changed my view, not changed my views, but just given me more information to make yeah, proper decisions on things you know, and yeah. try stuff. You know, just, it is yeah, like just definitely I have to stop and listen to my notes all the time. And I'm always putting like, so that's when he's like, oh, you, you can go back and listen to it. But it's like right then, man, I'm like, ah, and I'm kind of. You know, when you guys are talking, I'm kind of looking this stuff up. And, you know, and a lot of times it's right. stuff that I want to make sure I'm spelling it correctly as well when I'm putting it in the notes. <laughs> you know, because, right, I mean, right. Doc can just rattle stuff off just like it's nothing. Like, oh, there's a study, blah, blah. Like, dude, do you have yeah. to study? Like, how do you even know we're going to talk about this? It's like you had to sit right in front of you <laughs> waiting. You <know? laughs> right. Like, right. So, you know, that's that's when you know someone's very well versed and this is what they do. They're not spending the time, you know, just lollygagging around or whatever. It's like, you know, you can you can hear and the passion <laughs> that, yeah. know, that he has. But he said in his youth in an interview when he first became a doctor that he purposely only practiced three days a week so that he could spend another three days researching Researching, all day long. How many doctors do you hear say that? You know, most of them are just practicing in shills for pharmaceutical company reps. Let's be honest. That's what most people are dealing with. They're certainly not doing any research. You talk about a hormone that they don't even they're, they're, they don't even know what people talked about 20 years ago. They're not even up to date on that research. Well, like I said, man, you know, now. every experience I've had, they're asking like, well, why do you want to know that? <laughs> you know, it's almost, yeah, well, it's almost like it's, I, I never I never you know, go to general practitioners. Is that a right, total you know, waste of time? Oh, I had to stop doing it. You know, then I started going to more, you know, naturopaths who were like and you talk to them. They're like, oh, man, they're just like a breath of fresh air to them. They're like, oh. Here's someone actually like, you actually know what I'm talking about. I was like, yeah, you know, you know, my, my partner and I, we talk about this a lot on this, on our podcast and he's well versed in this. So a lot of things that I've learned just from talking to him over the years for damn near 10 years now, you know, so they get excited and, you know, next thing you know, that doctor's visit ends up becoming like three or four hours. It's not because I was waiting. It's because they spent three hours talking to me because no one else really (laughs) understands what they're talking about. And they get so excited about it. And hell, I'm so excited about it that I don't even pay attention to the time, (laughs) you know, like, oh, wow. And like, okay, just, this this fifteen dollar copay just became like a big deal because now you've given me like three hours worth of you know of attention here, which you know right. that's a few thousand dollars to anyone else. <laughs> so yeah, man, it's like it's fascinating. I was like, I, I just can't see why more and more people are not fascinated by this, and especially compared to all the other things out there that are you know the norm, you know, and all the yeah. things that come along with all the stuff that's the norm. It's like, dude, so there's nothing exciting about certain drugs that they automatically put you on just because you have a hiccup or whatever else and all the side effects that come with it. You know, they're just watching those commercials. If you, if you don't suffer from depression, just watch a depression commercial. And I'm sure you'll probably end up getting depression. Just listen to all the side effects, <laughs> some of this medication, yeah. you know, what it does to you. It's like, God, I don't want to catch that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think the mistake is a lot of people are a product of people around them. So if if you're 50 and all your friends are unfit and 50, you just think that, well, I'm normal. I'm like all my friends. And no one is talking about how to be optimal and how to be vibrant in your little circle. So you you just don't even think of that as an option. You're not even seeing that as, hey, maybe I don't need to feel this way. Or you are so used to feeling that way, you think it's normal. So you always say, oh, I'm 50 now. So it's like, what does that have to do with anything? 
Like I, 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 I hear guys saying, oh, I'm 30 now, so I'm tired all the time. I go, 30? <laughs> tired of what? So I'm tired of not being yeah. 20 anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like you're not tired all the time because you're 30. You're tired all the time because you have a poor lifestyle. Your diet's garbage. You're not giving yourself any nutrition. You drink too much. You're too overly stimulated. You're not sleeping enough. You watch too much TV. You're around a bunch of negative people. Now, let's talk about all the real reasons why you're tired. It's not because you're 30. <laughs> right. <laughs> like... Jim Florentino was listening to his podcast the other day, and he has he has a new episode on on motivational quotes. Yeah, I started quotes, listening to some of it yesterday. American Airlines because they didn't have oh, the Yelp reviews was so funny. <laughs> oh my god! But the one on motivational quotes is so funny because he's like, "Stop putting up all these motivational quotes." He's, it's like it's not working. Everybody's miserable. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see a motivational quote, now I think of that. You know, I was like, man, it's like sometimes I post motivational stuff, but I was like, I can't do it now after listening to that episode. <laughs> you can't come back from that. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. He's like, oh, I was looking at Mike Mahler's page. The guy keeps on posting these stupid ass memes. <laughs> you know, he's like, stop telling me what's gonna mess me up, man. <laughs> now, now I think of his rants when I'm on there. Oh, but it, it's it's funny, but it's at the same time. It's like Robert De Niro playing Al Pacino in, or not Al Pacino, but Al um, Al Capone in Untouchable City. He goes, "We laugh because things are funny, and we laugh because they're true as well." And right. that's why I laugh when I listen to his episode because he just rips on stuff. He got he had that one bit about like live today like there's no tomorrow. He's like, "Shut up!" <laughs> he goes, "If I," he goes, "If there's no tomorrow, he's like, I'm gonna do a lot of stupid shit." He's like, "I'm gonna hit on my friend's wife." He's like, "Why not? Who cares? There's no tomorrow." <laughs> he's like, "I'm gonna get two five thousand dollar hookers." He's like, "Who cares? No tomorrow." He's like, "I'm gonna do a lot of dumb stuff that I wouldn't do, you know, if I know there's a tomorrow." <laughs> oh, he had me cracking up, man. It's it's, it's so it's funny. So funny. Like, I, I, I've said those episodes to other people. They don't think it's funny at all. They're like, "Oh, that guy's that guy's depressing, man." <laughs> Well, I'm listening to the show. I'm like, damn, it's like this dude's been listening to our show for the last five years. He's like, we touched on that. We talked about that. It's like, I'm like, dude, I'm starting to think this is gimmick infringement, man. What the hell, dude? <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to get him on the show because it's, it's funny. Honestly, I wouldn't mind doing an episode. I mean, just this would be like a little side project of mine where I just do have my own rants. Where I go, right. I go read Yelp reviews, make fun of people. I go make fun of stupid stuff on Instagram. Instagram would be perfect material for me. It'd just be like, all right, oh hell yeah, I'm going to go through Instagram and just comment on stuff. Now look at this shit. This this chick's trying to motivate me. All I see is her ass. <laughs> and it's so funny. Well, the funny thing was just like a couple of days ago, just, just that we had joked about, you know, the, the I, you know, I I voted today stickers or whatever, and yeah, we were yeah, just yeah, like yeah, joking yeah. about stuff when I voted sticker on their ass. And then I came across <laughs> an account where some girl did that. You know, she, oh yeah, some, some, oh yeah. Some, I, I came across more than like, one. I voted today. I'm like, okay, what did you vote on today? Ain't little, not ain't I mean, what are we voting for right here? I don't <laughs> what does this have to do with the yeah, election? He has that one where he goes, like, go somewhere where you've never been before. He goes, why? Why would I want to do that? So tell me why. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if I've never been there, I don't know if I'll like it. It's like, why don't I just go where I've been before and I know I like it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, try something new every day. He's so funny with that stuff, man. At least I find it funny. Other people may not find it funny at all, but I'm cracking up. I'm walking around Whole Foods listening to this guy laughing out loud like a psycho. 
Like, what's that guy doing <laughs> walking around with laughing? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so if you need a good laugh, check that out, folks. Jim Florentine's podcast. And if you don't like it, guess what? I'm all sold out of fucks. So don't complain <laughs> to me you know, that you didn't like it. Because my give a fucks are on back order right now. And I don't think they're going to be in stock anytime soon. <laughs> Might have been discontinued, man. Okay. <laughs> Mine have gone the way of the Datsun D210, man. It's like you can't find it anymore, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So we can wrap Good. it up there. You folks know what to do. Use that coupon code. Actually, if you're listening to this episode, there should be some end of the year sales going on, at least on my web, MikeMahler.com. I've got, I usually start my Black Friday, Cyber Monday sale a week early to beat the Christmas rush. And then that usually goes on until the end of November or, or into December. So check that out. Yep. And hit us up on Patreon. And you know what, man? You know, maybe we start doing some Q&A over there on Patreon now. Yeah, sure. That sounds so good. Ask, you that. know, instead of doing it just for the general public, so yeah, I'll send it out to you, Patreon listeners. You know who are listening right now. You know, you know, you guys can start submitting some Q and A because I'm pretty sure you've got plenty, and you probably have a hell of a lot after this episode. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, we you know we start you know accumulating those Q those Q and A questions or whatever from you guys, and start putting together some bonus episodes just for that, just for you folks over on Patreon, uh, especially with the new year coming up as well. So for those of you who are not over there on Patreon, you damn sure want to do it now for this, you know, so because we're not answering questions over on Facebook and, and, and on Instagram. We don't have Instagram for that. Okay. That's not what we're there for. It's kind of like, you know, that's, that's our little break from reality for a little while there. So right, it, it, so definitely head over to patreon.com slash LLA podcast. Like I said, go to both our websites. Use that coupon code LLA. Get 10% off, off products. And um, make sure you're subscribing to Mike's newsletter as well so you don't miss out on anything. Because a lot of these episodes, they don't come out the day that we actually record them. You know, so right. that's why you want to you want to stay informed, be up to date by getting in that newsletter, man. So don't so head over to his website for that. Um, you know, to my my website now is just pretty much an archive for a lot of our episodes or whatever else because there are so many things I'm doing offline that are you know taking my time. You know, pretty much the only thing online that consumes my time is you know this podcast, everything dealing with that. Right. So. Right. You know, so you gotta, you gotta make sure you put your focus in the right places and whatever. And there's a lot of things now that's kind of just, I've moved on from for the most part. And like, there's still some things you can still find over there. You can still find like the bodyweight DVD, the digital download of that. Um, and yeah, man, I think you're about to head that way as far as, you know, what you have left over as far as your DVDs, right? Yeah, I'm digital. about to get rid of most of my physical copies and then start uploading stuff for digital downloads. And it'll yeah. be something that is an impulse buy price because these this is an old catalog. You know, these are videos I made earlier in my career, and the content's right. still good. So there, there isn't any reason for me to just throw it in the trash. I might as well just give people the option if they're still interested. And yeah. most people want digital downloads. A lot of people don't even have DVD players anymore, and right. a lot of people don't even have TVs. You know, they just use their yeah, computer exactly. to watch stuff on YouTube or something. Even on Netflix, the computer, they don't really have DVD players anymore. It's like you right, have right. Most computers don't have DVD players. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get an external one now. Their, their phone is their computer now. <laughs> so. Right. And uh, I wouldn't even mind making some mini videos for download in the future, too, just tutorials and stuff, because I've, I've made a lot of progress with the deadlift over the years, and I have, I have some techniques that I've learned from people like Mark Philippi and so forth that I could put together in a quick clip for a couple bu yeah. or a buck or so, and people can download it the way they would a, a song on iTunes, for example. Right. So I, I don't want to make any full-length videos anymore. That's just not my focus. But every once in a while, you have a breakthrough with things, and it's not worthy of an entire video, but it could be a five- to ten-minute clip that is really useful content that can help people with their performance. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the world we live in now because we're pretty much on an on-demand, you know, in an on-demand society now where no one's really trying to be all in for like six to eight-hour, you know, DVDs or anything like that like in the past. Right. Now everybody's like, you know, I, I have this one specific thing I'm trying to work on. Give me that information, you know, and right. that's another good that's exactly. another that's another that's another beauty of the whole Q and A type thing as well that I was just talking about, you know, we start doing because it really helps you to scale down and focus on, you know, okay, this is some frequently asked stuff right here. Maybe, you know, you need to put together a little series on this. You know, because right. this is the question that keeps popping up the most. So, you know, and, and that benefits so many different folks. And at the same time somebody might have that question like, Oh, Never mind. I was about to email him about this, but I see they've already done a video clip on this. Let me go watch it. Right. You know, and right. you can take it everywhere. Watch it everywhere. While you're sitting in the freaking doctor's office and waiting for two hours for that 10 minute visit, <laughs> you know, you can watch this <laughs> clip and you probably like, and the doctor's like, well, what can I have with? Oh, I'm good now. I just watch this video. <laughs> and then, you know, some Michael's <laughs> talking about something. I like, I kind of know where I'm going now. And I know right now I'm going out of here to, to a more <laughs> or a doctor that can actually address this situation. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, man. You know, that's the beauty with this technology when you use it for the right, for the right things and use it correctly. Yeah, man. Have, have it benefit you. <clears throat> yeah, 100%. Yeah, so. Other than that, man, that's all I got. So. That's all I got. So I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. It's a fun one. Dr. Gordon is always one of my favorite guests. I always love talking yeah. to him. In fact, usually I usually I always ask him to come on the show because I'll be doing some intense research and then I'm right. going, man, I want to get his opinion on this. Because right. there's so much conflicting stuff. I'm reading an article on how you want, why you want to keep your IGF-1 below 200. Otherwise, it causes cancer. And then you read another article saying, hey, if you're below 250, you're not getting the performance benefits for muscle and recovery and so forth. They're like, okay, well, which one yeah. is it? Is it going right. to build my muscle and make me healthier and live longer? Or am I going to get cancer? Right. So let's bring a guy <laughs> right. like him on who's just going to cut through all that nonsense and explain why. He doesn't just come on and say, no, that's wrong, right. without giving any support for why. I mean, look at look at the way he broke it down, everything, at the beginning right. of this episode. So this is, and, this is know, awesome. We content. know there's no one standing behind him sponsoring his answer, right, at that moment. Right. You know, that's him out right. the field. That's the whole thing. When you're reading stuff, it's like, okay, and who who commissioned this this article in the first place? You know, who asked yeah, you to exactly. write this? And, and, what, and what are you getting out of this? You know, that's always the thing you got to always look at. Like, who sponsored this? Who paid for this? Yeah. So. A lot of times it comes from people that haven't researched properly. I mean, for the longest time, people said elevated testosterone increases prostate cancer because one guy in a study decades ago had an increase in prostate cancer from taking right. PRT with their version. It was just one person. And then this whole thing got perpetuated down the line. Where it doesn't matter if you have low testosterone or high testosterone, it only takes a small amount to fuel prostate cancer. So you could have low testosterone, and that's enough to fuel prostate cancer. And high doesn't necessarily increase it anymore, is it? Because it's, it's a saturation method, like with a plant. If you pour a fourth of a cup or you pour a big glass, it's only absorbing that fourth of a cup's worth of water. There. Right. The rest of it is just going to be a puddle on top. So we get a lot of bad advice passed down. And the mistake a lot of people make, especially on social media and just the Internet age, is they just repeat a headline. Forget about it. They didn't even read the fucking article. They're just oh, repeating know. a headline to someone. They're like, no, that's not true because of this. Like, did you even read that article? First of all, the article sucked. But did you actually even read it? Or are you just – you're so lazy, you're just – Regurgitating well, a headline you let some read. Well, so and so posted, and they're credible. I mean, they wouldn't post bad information, would they? I'm like, really? <laughs> so that's another. I mean, thing. Anthony Anthony Roberts did one time. He he put together a fake article on the negatives of steroids, 
and he sent right. it to someone, and that person posted it as proof. See, here's some here's some uh, <laughs> proof that of the on the negatives of anabolics, and it was a fake article written by Anthony. He just wanted to prove a point how people just right. push stuff out there without researching anything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that's extremely common. Oh yeah, you just have to be careful. That's why with this show we I mean, like to cut through. We want to bring on experts. That's what I call yeah. clickbait, yeah. you know, and most people, once they click on it, like, oh, it's got to be true because they realize, like, oh, I don't want to read all that. But, hey, I, I trust these guys. They, they wouldn't put it up there if it was a lie. And then they share it. and It right. goes viral. Then, next thing you know, everybody's believing it. And still no one read the article. No. One. Right. But right. People wanted to look smart. Say, see, here we go. <laughs> so. I won't even respond to someone when they they comment on something I've written. And it's obvious to me that they didn't even read the article. Like you're going to get nothing from me. You didn't even take time to read the article. I addressed your question in the article, or, or it has nothing to do with the article. I go, why are you even bringing that up to this article? It has nothing to do with what I wrote. <laughs> you know, any, of, any, of those qual- any of those categories, you don't get a response. You don't, you don't deserve a response. Yeah, exactly, man. So it's just like, no, I need my confirmation bias you know, dose for the day, man, because this is what I want to do. <laughs> I don't want you going against that. How dare you? <laughs> so. It's, it's crazy because there's this flip flop because they respect you for what you do and what you put out there, but at the same time they disrespect you and they don't have respect for you because you're not agreeing with what they're doing. So to make them right. feel better, so let me get somebody that's respectable to think like I'm thinking, so therefore confirm that you know, hey, I'm smart too. It's like that's not how that works. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's not how that works, man. Come on, you don't. Well, generally you don't when, when people give unsolicited. Also, when people give unsolicited advice, let's say on someone's Instagram post or YouTube clip, it's it's always self-serving. They're not doing that to benefit you. They're trying to put the focus on themselves. Like, oh, your technique is wrong. You need to do this. Okay, are you saying that for my benefit or your benefit? You're not saying it for my benefit. You're clearly saying you're trying to use the views that I'm platform, getting you know, as to try to increase a way to, like- yeah, to bring focus to you. You're trying to just diminish what someone else is doing and try to use this as a platform to elevate yourself. And how effective is that when someone goes and tries to pretty much piggyback off someone else's platform? How many followers did you get just from that one post? You know, all of a sudden that people are like, Oh, let me follow this guy. He he knows what he's talking about. You know, how effective is that? It would be, (laughs) it would be good to see some research on that and see how non-effective that really is. So people can just stop. No, I saw someone critiquing Mark Phillippe's deadlift technique the other day on Instagram. They're like, oh, that's the, this is wrong. I was like, I can't believe you're actually telling Mark that. It's like, and tell me how many, how many airplanes have you pulled in your life, please? Could you, <laughs> how many trains have you pulled? Here's a guy who's lifted over 800 pounds. He's taught at UNLV. He's a strength, <laughs> he, he used yeah, to be a strength and conditioning coach for UNLV. He's had his own practice forever. All right. right. And you got the fuck. And then, of course, you click on this person. They don't, they don't have a clip of them doing anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so funny, man. But that that's the internet for you. You know, you get a lot of that douchey behavior. For the most part though, it's positive. I mean, I deal with really cool people on all my platforms. It's not like I deal with dipshits on a daily basis. It happens every once in a while. For the most part, it's really positive people. They like what you're posting, they're they're positive, they're inspired. So it's all good. But every once in a while you just get these douchey people and the key is that one course. Goodbye. It's kind of yeah. one of those situations you can't do like IC does. Like you just leave them to everyone else. Like instead of even addressing, like, "Hey, y'all, take care of this," and then <laughs> yeah. the rest of your yeah. falls will rip them apart. It's like, ah, and then there's that. You know, so you don't yeah. waste your time. 
<laughs> right. Right. Well, cool, folks. So other than that, folks, we're going to wrap it up there and uh, pretty much have our own little discussions that we don't want to share on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to talk about where we're going to get grilled tormo <laughs> and get stork on it. We're going to keep that stuff to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about these mushroom pills you're talking about, Micah. <laughs> yeah, now we're going to talk about the benefits of psychedelics, how to get that. <laughs> like, uh, somebody, yeah, Dr. Gordon, about, about that bottle of um, LSD that you took from Germany. You know? <laughs> Where exactly in Germany did you get that? What city, what store? <laughs> They're going to be getting a call in a minute. You know? <laughs> exactly. Oh, All right. Yeah, no, no. All right, take care, everyone. Give a good one.